Hello, everyone. This is Q of the MJ Cast. It's episode 104. It's our June 25th special. And today I'll be joined by my co host, Jamin Bull, and special guest, mega Michael fan, Jenny Winings, who's going to be sharing a number of stories about not only being a fan, some amazing fan experiences, but also some of the times that she's actually spent with Michael Jackson. For example, Jenny stayed at Neverland Valley Ranch. So we hope you enjoy some of these amazing fan stories. We'll also be sharing how Michael should be remembered, clips from previous special guests, and we've got some musical tribute breaks. This is episode 104, June 25th special with Jenny Winings. The following is a presentation from the MJ cast. The internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Jamin, hello, welcome. Episode 104. Here we are. Jeez, it's been a big month, hey? June is always a crazy and very busy month, and we are doing very well to get this out (laughs) as well as the other two episodes already. Yeah. Thank you for all of your editing time. You got it. You have a little bit of a breather after this. Yeah, I'm going on hiatus for July. You're on your own, mate. (laughs) Oh, God. Jenny, I'd like to welcome you to the MJ cast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Where are you Skyping in from? I am in Cincinnati, Ohio in USA. Oh, cool. Awesome. Have you been there, Q? Mm, mm-hmm. I've been to a theme park near there. Was it called King's, King's Island? King's Island. Yes, my awesome friend Tim. Uh, he took me there when we were visiting him. So, is that close to in- Indianapolis? Yep, it's about right. two hours away. Yeah. And he took us to that incredible, like, amusement park with those wicked coasters. Yep, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. There you go. Small world after all. It really is. (laughs) We have chatted before, but we haven't broadcast our chat that we've had because our plan changed when we heard some of your amazing stories. And we're really, really thrilled that we are able to sort of remember Michael with some of these amazing stories from a real fan because we were considering using some of your stories as like a discussion topic in a regular episode but then we got chatting with you and there was uh, so much there and we both decided pretty quickly that this (laughs) actually deserves a whole show and even today we're not going to be able to cover every wonderful fan experience you've had with Michael but We're going to hopefully uh, touch on some key ones. We hope that these wonderful memories of yours and your incredible stories will help fans as we remember Michael today. I'm always ready to talk about Michael, so 
Well, that yeah. works out Ready well for us. <laughs> yeah. It's never an easy time of year, is it? It's For me, like, it always feels when we get into the second half of June, things just sort of sink in my world. And I remember, you know, what went on 10 years ago. Is that the same for you guys as well? Definitely. I mean, it takes me right back to that day. Mm. Right back to that day. But one thing that helps is chatting about people's memories and their own love for Michael Jackson. Well, it helps me at least. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And remembering that we all share in that grief. We all share in that huge loss that we are all still so feeling today, like completely feeling that today. And it'll probably never really go away. Not for me, at least. I can't ever envision that it will go away. We want people out there to know that they're not alone in this and that there's people out there feeling and heartbroken and just devastated still. And it's 10 years on, like that time has gone so fast. Mm. Well, and it's Um, nice that we're talking about it too, because we're 12 hours apart. So we all live all over the world. So it's not like I can just go to work and talk to my friends about it because they'll think like, okay, crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice that we can all like, you know, use the internet to talk about it and use this podcast to talk about it and and hopefully make other people listening feel a bit better about it and feel less alone and for those people as well that can't make it out to places like LA where Brad Sundberg's doing his awesome big MJ week thing hopefully we can bring a bit of comfort to people as well so yeah for sure that is the goal well We've got a short list of questions for you because we know that your answers won't be short and we hope that we get to cover some of the most amazing experiences that any fan could ever have dreamt of. But the first question we would love to ask you, Miss Jenny Winings, is how did you become a Michael Jackson fan? The first memory that I have is being in the back of my dad's car, going through a car wash and listening to the Bad Album. So 1987, I was five years old. And then it just went on from there. And as I got older, like in uh, junior high, no, probably, yeah, about junior high or beginning of high school is when I really started to get into the kind of person he was, the humanitarian he was, you know, look into more than just the music. That's pretty much how. And I remember even being in junior high, like in high school, just defending him all the time. So it goes back quite a bit for me. That's cool. I I can relate to that for sure. Were you the kind of fan who was putting little touches on your clothing and stuff at school and making your school diary covered all in MJ pictures and stuff like that? I didn't do that back then, but once I graduated high school and, and when I went to Madison Square Garden after that, that was it for me. Like I covered my whole room. I mean, I have pictures. You can barely see my walls when I still live with my parents. Cause I was like, I saw him the one time and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm hooked. And I just like, I would print every single picture out I saw online and tape it to my wall. It was crazy. Looking back (laughs) at it. (laughs) People think I'm obsessed now, which I'm not obsessed anymore. But when I'm like, Oh yeah, look at this picture, look at my room, how it used to be. And people are what? <laughs> you mean you had stuff on the ceiling? I was like, yeah, I had yeah. stuff on the yeah. ceiling because there was you know no more what? space on the walls. Exactly. And, and I would, <laughs> my mom would always, my parents would always be like, 
Well, Jenny, it's better to be, you know, addicted and obsessed to Michael Jackson than drugs or alcohol. And I'm like, I like that. That's a good, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Michael was your drug. So, <laughs> yes. Insert Jenna eating chips gif here. It's true, though. I mean, yeah. My wife back then was like, where's the next place I'm flying to? So, yeah, that was totally my hobby. <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there very much going, yep, that was me. That was yep, me. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure <Yeah>. there are. <laughs> and I always got the, when you leave here, you're repainting these walls. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's yeah. what I have to do. That's fine. But while I'm here, this is how it is. Sorry, mom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. You don't have to ever come in my room. When I was at school, we had to wear black long pants and black leather shoes because I went to a, a private school and we had a pretty strict uniform. We also had to wear black socks, but my friends and teachers always used to ask me why I broke that uniform code and wore white socks. But hey, that's funny. Got to do it. Do it. Do. Such, <laughs> such a rebel, Jamin. I know. <laughs> white socks. <laughs> white socks. Whoa. Your Detention parents would have been like, oh, God, he's on the road to, like, jail with white socks. <laughs> oh, he's, like, writing He's like riding Michael a postcard, like, so today I got my sixth detention for wearing white socks in your honor. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't sparkly, but hey. <laughs> well, you know, it was, well, we knew what, they knew what you meant. <laughs> they yep. did. They did. That is hilarious. Okay, cool. So, yeah. We've got that in common. <laughs> All right. So you, you did mention there that, you know, Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. So was that the first time you saw Michael? Yes. So that was, you know, 2001. So before, I mean, you know, there was chat rooms back then. So I had found a chat room and I had been in there for a few months and some people in there were going I just remember I was 19 and I just, you know, wanted to go. I just felt like I had to go. So I bought a $530 ticket for the first show on Friday, September 7th. My mom, my aunt, my best friend and my sister and I flew out there. I went to the show that night. That was incredible. I was just walking down Times Square. I don't know if either of you have ever been to New York, but it's crowded. It's very awesome. I love Times Square. Yeah. So we're walking from the hotel to Times Square and... My friend runs up to me, who I'd only known in the chat room, and grabs my arm. And my mom was about to like punch him because he didn't know <laughs> she didn't know who he was. And he was like MJ Gen two thousand, and I knew exactly <laughs> who he was. But it, you know, back then we only knew each other by screen names. And my mom just thought this random guy was coming up to me. So she was, thought Jenny's was, getting kidnapped in New York. The stories about New yeah. York are true. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, but yeah, that was pretty awesome. So Friday I went to the concert. And then uh, Saturday, there was a fan get-together event. And then I flew back home Sunday morning, and my dad picked me up from the airport, and I cried the whole way home because I wasn't going to the Monday night show. I seriously sat in the car and cried. So I went into work. I got off work on Monday. I flew back to New York Monday, (gasps) September 10th, and I I went up to Madison Square Garden, bought a ticket for $300 and something dollars. Went to that show. Wow. And then took the last flight out of New York on 9 11 back home. Oh very, my God. That was like mm. a, a, the most, by that time, the most amazing weekend of my life. And then, you know, of course, flying out on 9 11, then that happened. But those very surreal, like four days, five, I mean, it was crazy. You must have flown out pretty early because on 9 11, the, the planes 
were all grounded, weren't they? Like by, you know. Yes, my flight, um, I, I worked for Delta Airlines at the time. So I flew standby. So I got on if a seat was open. And I called my dad from the airport because I didn't think I was going to get on the plane. And if I missed work due to missing a flight, I would get in trouble because it's up to us to see what flights we can take. I got the last seat on the last flight. I landed in Cincinnati at 7.30 a.m. And the first plane hit like at 8.45 or somewhere around there. So it was pretty nuts. It was pretty crazy. Okay. So... Madison Square Garden, which is the actual shows that made Jamin a fan, which is pretty cool that you got to see those shows. Yeah. Um, Is there any really amazing sort of special moments from those shows that that you'd like to share? Not really. I just – because I went by myself. My sister went because we tried to – I don't even remember what happened, but we had an extra ticket or something, and she ended up going, but we didn't sit together. So I was just sitting by myself and – just the first time that him and his brothers came on stage, I just remember screaming my little 19-year-old heart out and crying <laughs> because I just couldn't believe that I was in the same building as Michael Jackson. Like, I was freaking out. <laughs> wow. And then, and then again, that's why I flew home and literally flew back the next day to do it all over again. Post-concert depression is a real thing. I was so shocked at myself and my dad. I remember driving home from the airport. He was like, what is wrong with you? Yep. I'm like, dad, you don't understand. They <laughs> like, don't understand. They don't it, get it, it. it. And I never had that feeling before ever, you know, like I've been to concerts. So it was just such a, it, the feeling was so overwhelming. Speaking of overwhelming, that moment when the Jacksons sort of rise up and, yes. and Michael yep. You know, I remember yes. when we got to see the telecast of it, mm-hmm. that I was sitting on the, the floor. I think my sister was next to me. And when that, those trumpet sounds, the horns. Oh, my gosh. I literally I just got chills. <laughs> burst into tears. Like, yes. it was a flood of tears. It, who would have ever dreamed of seeing them all together again? And, mm-hmm. you know, it was the new era. And it was just such a magic moment. And, like, the electricity inside Madison Square Garden. Now, They were delayed because there was like an hour and a half, two hours of everyone else performing, you know, before him and his brothers came on. And then it started late. So it was a long time before they came on. I'm sure we were all like more than ready for it. But as soon as they came up and he was in that white jumpsuit with the helmet, nothing else in the world mattered. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing mattered. I don't even know if I knew my name. Like, I didn't care. (laughs) I was like, Michael Jackson's on stage. So it was it was amazing. Yeah, wow, that's cool. And when you saw those two shows, had you watched many Michael Jackson concerts and performances and things on TV before then? Or was this sort of like your first time? So I have a whole VHS collection of Michael Jackson stuff, like concerts, like even him in depositions. And I have like 19 or 20 VHS tapes that back in the day I bought from somebody in the chat room or something. And they shipped them to me. So I knew, yes, yes, I did, (laughs) to answer your question. (laughs) Yeah, cool. So you were pretty familiar. So, like, what Mm -hmm. I want to ask is I'm I'm really, really fascinated by this because I don't think I've spoken to anyone before ever who went to both shows. So when you saw the second show, were you thinking back and making any comparisons between them? Or, like, which one stood out to you as the better one? I don't – I mean – I don't even know. I don't remember. (laughs) I don't remember because each show had different people before them. Like 
you know, Britney Spears was in on Friday night, but she wasn't there Monday night. It was another girl that did the way you make me feel with him. And then Friday and Monday, the performers were different. And then they they took some from each and put them together. And that's what you saw on TV. Yeah. Because each show was like four hours long. Yeah. And nothing really sticks out differently. It was just awesome. It was just amazing the second time as it was the first time. That's so cool. I'm so jealous. That, yeah, it would have been so much fun to be at. So for these people next to me kept telling me to sit down. I just looked at <laughs> them like, are you? Yes. <laughs> I just I obviously ignored them. And I just looked at them. Are you crazy? Do you not? Why are you here? If you're sitting down, why are you even here? There are people that would want your tickets that would appreciate this more than you. That's what I just kept thinking. But yeah, yeah. So, so what was the highlight of the MSG shows for you? Probably him doing all his solo songs, seeing him do the moonwalk in person and just him being up there by himself. How was the crowd reaction to the Motown 25 recreation? Literally since the first part of that music came on. And you knew it was time for them to come out. It did not stop until the end of the concert. Wow. It was just nonstop screaming and crying and singing and dancing. And yeah. That moonwalk was fire. Yeah, it was good. Show me a bad one. (laughs) (laughs) You got us. Obviously, you know, we're we're talking to you because you've got some great stories. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these stories are because you have... Like, you've met Michael. Like, you've mm-hmm. hung you've hung out with him and stuff, basically. Yes. But, yes. but, but, but we would love you to share, for all the fans out there, the first time that you met Michael Jackson. Please. So, the first time I met him was at the Virgin Megastore signing. Oh, he's got and, the cool, he's got the cool blue ribbons oh on his hands God. and stuff, which I used to go clubbing with that. On, I used to I wrap did ribbons though, around my hand. What he was hand. wearing when I first saw him, I was like, what "Some is sort of this? what is this? <laughs> what is this tracksuit? What is these yeah. ribbons?" Yeah, but <laughs> we're all um, we're still we're still wondering that. I'm we? still wondering that. Yeah, we're like when I think that. of when I think of that, that's the first thing I think of is his outfit. <laughs> like what? Yep. And what? when the blue boots or whatever, I'm just like. And then um, and then the hair. We're like, what was with the hair? Anyway, I don't know what wow. was going on. Anyways, yeah, let's, let's get, get on, to the good on, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in Florida, staying at my grandparents' house when it came on on a Monday night that he was doing this Virgin Megastore signing for the first time ever. He was doing an an album signing. Well, I went to my grandma and I said, "Grandma, can you take me to the airport in thirty minutes? I'm going to New York." And she was like, "By yourself?" <gasps> I'm like, "Yep, I'm going to New York." And my grandma, I mean, I was an adult, so she was like, okay, <laughs> probably like, <laughs> what? But wow. 30 minutes, I packed, packed a bag, and she took me to the airport. I flew from Orlando, Florida to New York City, got in a taxi, and said, just take me to Times Square. So the taxi dropped me off at Times Square, and I saw a handful of people. I was number seven in line. So I got there Monday night, probably at like 10 or 11 p.m. Lucky number and seven. <laughs> yes, that is my favorite number two. So I just got in line and that was Monday night and we stayed outside all night Monday, all day Tuesday and Wednesday morning. By this time, there was 3,500 people in line by Wednesday morning in just 36 hours, 3,500 wow. people. Um, Holy moly. They had to put barriers up. I mean, we looked like cage animals. It was kind of funny, but we were like behind barriers and... Uh, so Wednesday morning, they passed out 
numbers. I think it was only 500 people got in. And thank <gasps> God, once they gave the numbers, they were like, okay, you can, you know, you have a few hours. You don't have to be back in line for a few hours. And I was, could not wait to go get a shower and like eat something because I had been sleep. Well, sleeping is putting it one certain <laughs> way, but I'd been outside in Times Square on the floor. It snowed a little bit. Somebody oh I was God. with walked down the street and bought a big comforter and came back. I mean, it was a long time to be outside. So okay, um, I've got I've got a question. I've got a question. Yes, yes. How did you like? I guess before the numbers were handed out, so mm-hmm. you were there for like two nights. Mm-hmm. Really? How yes. did you eat and bathroom and so, like just how did you survive? So right down, like two stores down, was a McDonald's, and since I was one of the first in line, we would all just we knew who each other were, so we would go down and get something to eat or go to the bathroom or something and then, and come back. Okay. So you um, would, the, the groups were sort of holding people's place in line while I, right. while I could survive. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But once more people got there, well, I guess I could still do that. I don't even remember like all the details, but everyone knew who we were, especially in the front part of the line. Cause we had been yeah. there already for a day and a half. So yeah. The struggle is real people. The struggle so is real. real. So real. And it's funny, like thinking about what I went through after that. I don't know if I would have waited that long overnight twice in New York just to like walk up to him and cry my eyes out in front of his face. (laughs) But I probably would. (laughs) Yeah, I think you probably would. (laughs) I probably would. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's the day of the meet and greet. You've you've got your numbers. This still blows my mind that it's his first ever meet and greet. That's just crazy. What happens? So we come back and the next thing I remember is everybody. So the Virgin Mega Store in Times Square was two floors, maybe three. I don't really remember, but I just remember being on the bottom level. So we were underneath the street level. And all hundreds of us were just there waiting for him. And they had TVs in there. And all of a sudden on the TVs, they had MTV on. And there he was right in front of the store we were all in because we were watching it like everyone else was seeing it on TRL, on MTV. We're just all in the bottom of Virgin Mega Store looking at these TVs and seeing him right outside the store, you know, and everybody was running over. And he did that for a few minutes, then came inside. And then it was just taking turns, going up and... And having him sign a copy of Invincible and talking to him, or in my case, not saying a word really, just crying. <laughs> and him, <laughs> him asking me if I was okay. Like, Aww. oh my gosh. But I have a picture holding the album. My face is as red as a tomato. I'm just so happy and crying. And, and yeah, I was probably on cloud nine. I don't really remember a lot from after that. But what was it like? as you sort of walked up to the meet and greet table and you were seeing Michael Jackson in front of you, not like in a concert setting. Right. What was that feeling like? I, I, I Probably how you think you would feel, that's probably what I was feeling. Just, I don't even know if I, I, I don't know. I mean, speechless and shocked and surreal and amazing it was just everything in one (laughs) and it lasted like five seconds (laughs) (laughs) but it was worth it 
In the footage of the Virgin Megastore signing, because I think there's like a really long video of it, isn't there on YouTube? There is, yeah. So mm-hmm. are you, can we see you in that? No. They cut away to some guy talking on a microphone during me walking up there. I know. But I do see a lot of other people that I've I met after that over the years. I see them on it. So that's pretty cool to rewatch it. But of course not. No. Isn't there a really funny moment in it where a woman asks Michael to marry her or something? I have a faint memory of that. Uh, probably. And I think he <laughs> agrees or something. Something like he something weird happens where he's like, yeah, sure. I have to go back and watch it. Probably. Yeah, there probably is. <laughs> I just remember the bit where he's really fascinated by a girl's belly button ring. <laughs> that I think that was just Michael being like, she's hot. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he was flirty as that day. There's oh. like... Audio of him, I think, talking to security guards. My good friend who I experienced a lot of my MJ stuff with lived in France. And she's the blonde in the video that he asked her her phone number. And he was talking to Frank about her. And she came up and and gave him a hug. And that's like my really good friend who did everything I'm about to tell you about with me. But Wow. Yeah. Look at me, my life's like a movie But this is real life, you should sue me Sit back and watch me do me I mean kick back, Bruce Lee Am I a knockout? Yeah, probably But don't get punched out Ali, media should've left him alone But he kept jabbing Sylvester Stallone I don't worry too much about looks and stares I'm a modern day Fred Astaire This is new life, no abortion Surrounded by been under microscopes since adolescence But being this famous is rather stressing No more second guessing I'm back to the bench, pressing Tell me what you see when you see me Real life, this is not TV My life is a movie, life is a movie, life is a movie I know you've seen it before They all wanna see me fall Revealed a few good types Me defeated is what they would like But in the darkness you will see good light I keep sailing, my boat's kinda nice But these sharks, they could bite Switch the channel, on to the next one Broadcast them live, I am the best one Born to win since the baby carriage Went from nothing to a king's palace Heart of a prince, blood of a lion There is no denying this legacy you can't tarnish I was raised by the greatest, I promise Honestly, I'm honored See, the bigger the star, the bigger the target Tell me what you see when you see me Real life, this is not TV My life is a movie, life is a movie, life is a movie I know you've seen it before They all wanna see me fall My life is a movie, life is a movie, life is a movie Yeah, tell me what you see
see when you see me Real life, this is not TV My life is a movie, life is a movie, life is a movie, yeah Tell me what you see when you see me Real life, this is not TV My life is a movie, life is a movie, life is a movie Hi, this is Terrell Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. So, Jenny, obviously, you know, today we're helping each other, hopefully helping other people. But I guess a tough story that it's it might not be super easy to talk about, but we'd love if you could help answer it, was, you know, years later, so 10 years ago from, from now, where were you and how did you hear the news that Michael passed away? It's been 10 years, but doesn't it seem like yesterday or one year ago? I mean, it just, I cannot believe it's been 10 years. I was at work that morning, you know, Farrah Fawcett passed away. So I remember I was a bartender at a restaurant and saw that. And we were talking about that at work. Now, anytime a celebrity passed, people would ask me all the time, what would you do if Michael died? And I'd be like, oh, I don't even want to think about that. Let's not talk about that. So I leave my job and go to another restaurant where I had a lot of friends. It was right next to my work. And we're sitting there and I was talking to my friend and she asked me that. She goes, we're talking about Farrah Fawcett. And she was like, oh my gosh, Jenny, what would what would you ever do if Michael died? And I was like, you know what I said? Oh girl, I don't even know. Like I would just stay locked in my house for days. I'd be depressed, whatever. So then I start getting a few phone calls from my friends that I'd met over the years. And they're like, have you heard about Michael? They're saying that he's going to the hospital. And you know how we all did. Anytime something happened, we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another rumor. It's probably nothing because you know how they exaggerate everything with him. So I was like, oh, well, you know, nothing's on the radio. We didn't have smartphones then. I don't think. I was like, okay, whatever. I remember getting up and I looked at my friends and I was like, all right, I'm going to go. They're saying my boyfriend is in the hospital. That's literally the words I use, like joking, like, like, okay, they're saying my boyfriend went to the hospital. I got to go see what's going on. 
So I drove to my parents' house, which was about five minutes from my job, and they were out of town, so it was just me there. And I turn on the news, and then that's when everything was happening. That's when they said he had cardiac arrest. And I turned on the TV quite a while before they confirmed that he had passed. So at this point, we all were just glued to the TV. I mean, and I'm, you know, everybody was fan, not fan, old, young, it doesn't matter. And my phone was going crazy and you didn't know what was real and what wasn't. But of course, when the media, when they're talking about somebody having cardiac arrest, I knew that it was serious. And that's when I really started thinking, okay, if he makes it through, because they were talking about people with cardiac arrest, if they have brain damage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if he, if he does survive whatever he's dealing with, is what is he going to be like? Is he going to be like the Michael that we've all known over these years? So that was going through my head. I remember going online and as much as TMZ is a tabloid, unfortunately, they're pretty much right. And they know a lot of information before anyone else. And that was the, they were the first ones to put it on their website. And as soon as I saw that, it was like, like, I'm sure everybody felt, I mean, just, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, I just started crying, like hyperventilating, crying. Everybody was calling me and, and I couldn't even, I couldn't talk to anybody. And I did call my parents. They were driving they were driving home from our lake house. And I just said, I was like, you know, I told them what just happened. And I think that the whole world was in shock when that happened. It was just, I mean, it was just, you can't, could not fathom waking up on June 25th, 2009, that that is how the day was going to end. I mean, and you know, and then I thought, well, that whole part of my life that I've had for eight, nine years, that's gone. Well, I mean, I'll never see my friends again that I saw from all over the world for the past, you know, seven, eight, nine years. That whole part of my life is just gone. Did you have plans to go to This Is It? Yes. I had tickets for August 30th, so the day after his birthday. Yep, I did. And, um, you know, and, and that's why I like that we're talking about this and other people will hear it because... For my friends at work or people that I, I'm not super close to, if I were to sit here and tell them how I felt and how I was acting and it was like one of the most terrible days of my life, obviously besides anybody in my family or friends, you know, passing away, I don't think they would understand. But the community that we have, this MJ fan base, man, it is strong. And I think we all felt the same way. We still feel the same way. It was, I mean, it was ter- It was terrible. And I remember finally getting home and I remember when Jermaine came out and announced it. I mean, it was shocking. Like there wasn't, you just had to stare at the TV. Like, is this for real? It was terrible. That's tough. I'm like pretty choked up after hearing your story. Yeah, yeah, and then and then um, the radio station or the news or somebody. So I don't know if I called or wrote them or something. And I kind of, you know, very shortly said, "Hey, I've been following him for eight years." They actually came over to my apartment that night, and I did an interview with them. And looking back on it, I just looked completely in shock. Like I 
just kept saying he is. And I remember going, I mean, was, and I can't believe I'm saying was, and just, I looked like I was just completely shell-shocked from the whole thing. So it was really, really terrible, you know? I think, you know, we'd lost someone that meant the world to us. And yeah, people that don't, don't love someone like that, they don't understand. He was a family member. He was like a best right. friend. He was a superhero. He was, you know, our hero. And just because we didn't know him personally, even though, you know, you were lucky and have got some stories you're going to share where, you know, you mm-hmm. actually did know him and hung out with him. People just don't understand that just because we didn't know him personally, that it could affect us as much as it did. I mean, I get it, but everybody felt that same way. Whether you were like me who had met him many times or whether you never did. And, you know, we all were feeling the same exact emotions that day. No matter if you met him or spent time with him, it was such a weird, like, connection that he could give to you through his music. I mean, helping people through their lives with his music and just, it was just bizarre that everyone was feeling the same emotion all over the world, all over the world where people coming out, the candlelight vigils and stuff in every country on the same day. It was just, it was just so emotional. Has the world ever been united like that in anything else? Perhaps like, I can't really think of anything. Maybe Lady Diana. Yeah, that's it. Actually, I was just going to say that the only thing... Oh, you mean like with the death? Well, yeah, I guess the death, because I can't really think of anything positive that has united the world in such a way. Like, I remember when Princess Diana died, the whole world was also... I remember where I was. I remember what I had for lunch that day. I remember pretty much every detail of that day as well. And people lining up... example to sign condolence books. You know, I did that here in Perth. I can't think of anything really maybe positive in my lifetime that sort of united the world. I guess maybe in other eras, you know, the the first moon landing perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it's usually, unfortunately, just it's um, not very happy things that like 9-11, 3,000 people died and then everyone united and came together, you know, and and that was in grief as again. Exactly. And I do remember I woke up at 5 a.m. when Princess Diana passed to watch her funeral. Yep. Like on the other side of, you know, in America. So that that is definitely, which is ironic considering how good of friends they were and how he wrote privacy about, you know, some of the lyrics about her. And mm. Jamin, as like a history teacher, can you think of any other instances where maybe the world was united all feeling the same thing at the same time oh look i think certainly at the conclusion of certain large conflicts like at the end of the first and second world war or the berlin wall coming down and like there's Mm -hmm. certainly big you know watermark moments like that that impacts the whole world but i think you guys hit the nail on the head it's usually when everybody comes together to support each other it's usually after some kind of tragedy and um yeah I, Michael Jackson passing away. Okay, sure. Yeah, he was a pop star and a singer, but he represented so much more than that to so many people. Like we've talked many times on the show in the past about Michael breaking the color line for, you know, for black artists all around the world. He represented so much more than just a singer. So when he passed away, it was like, you know, it was like the literally the end of an 
era. He was the guy that broke the gates open for for young black musicians all around the world to succeed internationally. So it was it it was just indescribably huge that moment for the world. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had friends that had been at Carrollwood for a few weeks. I actually have a really good friend who got his very last autograph at one a.m. on June twenty fifth, and the news kind of showed him and. I can't imagine being at the hospital because here on one one side, you have all these people just celebrating him and cheering him and singing his songs at the hospital. And then, you know, you have the other group of people that can't even I mean, they're just crying and they can't even imagine celebrating. And everybody wants to just celebrate his life. But it was so hard to watch everything unfolding. It was really mixed for me because like I was super sad for a long time, but then it transitioned into like celebration for me because I mean, Michael went through it a really hard decade at the end of his life and pretty much during that trial period, the world was against him and I don't think he really recovered in terms of his reputation up until he when he died. But then when he did pass away and the world embraced his music again and all of his concerts were on TV and it was just like a giant celebration of his life and then it became cool again to just love MJ. There were shirts, people wearing shirts everywhere and Mm -hmm. it was was such a crazy year because it was sad but it was also really happy. Yeah, and I was inside the Staples Center for the memorial and it was – weird also because there was about 60 of us or so that had been at Forest Lawn the day before trying to get I don't know we were just sitting there and because because you remember they had that like drawing to get tickets and none you know none of my friends and I who had been with Michael all these years got tickets so actually Randy Jackson Michael's brother gave us all tickets so there was like 60 or 70 of us that he just gave all these tickets to and we all wore you can see us we're sitting on the floor there's like a big front section, then there's an aisle, then second section, our whole group of us, we wore all white. So you can see us because all you see is all white. And inside the Staples Center, you know, when when other people would come up to talk, some people would start cheering for them. And it was like, it was like a concert, mm. you know, because they just raffled these tickets off to any, they just, it was a lottery. It's another thing, like I was with Madison Square Garden, I know there were so many people that would rather have been there and would have meant so much to them. And then you had people that cheering and screaming for whoever would come up and talk. And our whole section was just crying. And it was, it was, it was a crazy day. What was the moment like when you saw his children come on stage and when Paris spoke about him? Oh my gosh, my heart. I did not, I don't think any of us expected her to speak. Just like, I don't think anybody expected her to speak. And when she got on stage, my friends and I, who had been with Michael these years, we saw the children a lot. We, Michael actually introduced us to Blanket before he introduced the world to Blanket when we were in Vegas in September 2002. And so we had seen Blanket for all these years and Paris and Prince, we used to buy Paris and Prince little gifts and stuff and when she started talking with 18,000 people in that in the Staples Center, you could hear a pin drop. I know that's like a cliche thing to say, but everybody just listened. Everybody was just in shock and sad for her and really felt the sadness. 
BG holding the little uh, black or white Michael Jackson doll. Oh, my gosh. I still can't even look at that picture. <laughs> like, I cannot see him standing there holding that and not tear up. I think in some ways that moment people actually realized, not fans, but just right. c- civilians, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> no, no, you know, I know. It's- I love when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> that is they, a funny term. <laughs> you know, I guess at that moment they, for the first time, realized – he was a father. He was a real dad. He was a he real had, person. He was a real person that had a family of his own. Yeah. Three young kids that now don't have a dad. It's heartbreaking. What was the feeling like reflecting on, like how aware were you that you were sitting in the very room that Michael had just spent weeks rehearsing in? That was really strange as well, especially when This Is It came out, because, you know, This Is It, to me, I know a lot of people, like, don't like it, don't want to watch it. And and it's not that I know that Michael would never have wanted that out there. It's strange watching him do Thriller and Threatened, because that was, that was like 12 hours before he passed. That was the night before he passed. So, and that was in the Staples Center. So, when, I don't know, even now to this day. Anytime they say the Staples Center, like if I watch turn on TV and there's a basketball game, mm. it's very strange to me. Yeah, it's like ground zero really, isn't it? Yeah, for for us, yes. So when I watch This Is It, I just if I'm watching it with anyone, I tell them like literally the next day he was gone. And here he is on stage and then just gone. During the memorial, mm-hmm. Michael's casket mm-hmm. is there. Michael is in that room Mm -hmm. with you all, how could you comprehend what you were seeing in front of you after all the experiences that you've had? And this is the moment. It's not, it's not a funeral. It's a memorial. It's, it is something so ridiculously over the top in so many ways, but in your line of sight is that gleaming casket that contains Mm -hmm. the man that we all love so much. I never thought about it like that. I don't, well, I, maybe I did, but yeah, that's tough, man. That's a tough one. Like I, I still know, I mean, I remember the song that was on when they walked the casket out and I remember just, we didn't know if the casket was going to be there. We didn't know. We had no idea. So it was like yeah. when, when they had it on the screens and then they showed it coming out, it was like, this is real. This is real. I don't think any of us was expecting that to happen actually i don't remember thinking oh yeah you know they're gonna have him there this is a memorial i remember all of us sitting outside of the cemetery the day before none of us wanted to go the casket was going to be there like we don't care to see mariah carey saying no offense to any of these people we don't care to see queen latifah or we don't care to see whoever else was there when the casket was there it was kind of a relief to us because we were like okay he's here we can spend this last few moments or an hour or two, whatever. And it's not like you're spending it with him. It was comforting in a way to know that he was there, but then obviously not at all. Like, not at all. I think we all just needed that one last, but he wasn't there. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like at a funeral, like an open casket funeral or something. You feel like you just need that one last moment with that person, even though their spirit is gone. 
Do you know what I mean? Does this make sense? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's making yeah. title sense. Okay, so that's kind of it's it's kind of for me. It was like that where it was as horrible as the situation was, and as terrible as it was, he was there. It's weird to think I haven't like really talked about <laughs> all this before, so it's weird to like to think about it like that.
Hi, this is Michael Prince, studio engineer and producer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Jenny, you just described to us earlier about being at Michael Jackson's memorial, and obviously, I mean, for for me watching that on TV, it was it was devastating, certainly. But for you, I'd imagine it it would have been a whole different level because. We haven't even got into the stories yet, but you even got the opportunity earlier in that decade, a few years before, to hang out with Michael Jackson at Neverland. Correct. Talk to us about how your relationship sort of shifted from being a fan that would see him sometimes to actually getting the chance to hang out with him. So now, and and my friends here like to say like, well, she was friends with Michael Jackson. I would not consider it, Michael will tell you, he loved all his fans. You know, we we're always there, but I wouldn't consider myself a friend. It's not like he would call me on the phone, but you know, the group of us, he would call some of my friends on the phone and he did know us by name. And, you know, he did start to recognize us and, and feel comfortable talking to us. The first time I met him was September, 2002. I was in Vegas. Michael Jackson was in Vegas for a long time. And I found this out from some friends that were there. So Every week for the whole month, I would fly out to Vegas on a Tuesday. I would say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I would fly home Saturday, and I would work Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night. I had a very flexible job. I could just switch days off, and that was very convenient for me. Every week in September 2002, I'd fly out to Vegas, and there'd be about anywhere from, at one point, it was just me and my, my friend Joanna and I, when he would come out and he would stop and talk to us, and there'd be anywhere from like two of us to maybe 10 of us at a time. And I mean, people, my friends would fly from Spain and France and Germany during this time. So he got to see us every day. We would literally sit in the same spot every day for hours, hours and hours and hours every day. And he would come in and out of the hotel and he would stop and talk to us. And I have three pictures with him. And that's where the pictures were from. We're in Vegas. And he had done this many times before, just from my experience. I was in New York for the Sony demonstration and a few other times, just randomly when he was there, and he would always stop and talk to us. He knew that we'd been waiting all day, so I'm sure that he would stop and be like, okay, let me give these people what they want, is <laughs> what I <laughs> probably think was going through his mind. Like, just stop and talk to him for a few minutes, Mike, you know. So in September, I'd fly out every week. A few times, my friends would go shopping with him in Caesar's Palace. I don't know. It was the most random time, because he would just come out, and sometimes he, he would tell my friends, do you want to come with me? And they would go with him. Other times, he would, you know, just sit there. This is the first time that I would see Martin Bashir, and we asked Michael who that was, and he told us, oh, he's just doing a documentary about me. He's a British journalist, quote, and right now I'm saying very light terms, journalist, but <laughs> that was like the whole month of September. That's what I did. I worked three days. I'd fly to Vegas for four days. So January of 2003, my job did some kind of like layoffs, but it wasn't going to be forever. It was, I picked a year and a half layoff. I still got all my flight benefits and medical benefits, which was nice. I just didn't have, I had to find another way of income. That happened in January, 2003. I got in touch with my friend from France, Joanna. And I was like, we, I don't even know what happened. We kind of just like, hey, do you want to go to LA and see Michael? Sit outside, you know, not like go hang out with him. So I thought, 
So she flew over from France, met me in Cincinnati, flew to LA. Then we found out he was in Miami. So we flew to Miami. We found where he was staying, which was the most random thing ever. The first time we flew to Miami to see him, we had no idea where he was staying. We were just going in and out of every hotel on the strip. One time she went in there and saw Mike, his bodyguard, and she came back out to the car. The odds of that happening are very slim. So that was a <laughs> that was exciting because we knew where Michael was staying. And then we actually, during the first time we went to Miami, he was hanging out with Chris Tucker a lot. So one time we were sitting outside the entrance or exit where he came in and out and the car pulled up and Chris Tucker yells out, Michael, it's your lost children. Talking about my friend and me. And we were like, oh my gosh, he did not just call us that. His lost children. Because Invincible, you know, was already out. But I forget what happened, but we actually left Miami and went back to Cincinnati for a few days. I don't remember why. And after about four days, we were like, what are we doing? We flew back to Miami because we knew where he was. This time he was staying at the Turnberry Hotel. So we went to the Turnberry Hotel we were there in Miami this time for two weeks. We would go to the hotel every day. We would see him two or three times a day, just me and her. That was it. He would come out, stop the car, talk to us, come back, talk to us. How you were saying about that girl's belly button ring. One time he looked at Joanne and he was like, I like your tattoo. Can I touch it? Like, oh, he knows what? that tattoos don't feel like anything, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, Michael, I know what you're trying to do here on her shoulder so he was just like that's such he was like i like your tattoo like it was so funny (laughs) she would like go inside and we would just start laughing like oh my gosh he's funny so in these times where you'd see michael coming in and out of hotels and different places like that did you ever get the opportunity to sort of like have little chats with him and if so what sort of things did you guys chat about oh yeah i mean i'm i'm sure every time we we have found something to talk about i have no idea right now what it was it could have been I don't know anything like what are you doing today and or the weather or just anything. We didn't care. We just whatever popped in our heads, we would say it just in order to talk to him. I I couldn't even tell you right now. I couldn't even tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jenny, you mentioned before that you had seen Martin Bashir around and Michael had told you they were filming a documentary and you mentioned, you know, Chris Tucker in Miami. And obviously Mm -hmm. we sort of know that there was things in Miami, like, you know, Gavin Aviso had come down there with Mm -hmm. Chris. Okay, let's skip forward a touch. The documentary is finished Mm -hmm. and it airs on TV. Yes. There was a bit of fallout from that. So So, what happened? The documentary was airing in London on a Thursday night and we were in America. We knew it was airing, but we didn't see it, obviously. So Friday morning, the morning after it aired, We hadn't heard anything about it. You know, this was before like smartphones. So we didn't have all this online accessibility that we do now. So we're just standing outside the hotel expecting it to be the normal. (laughs) And it's weird to say the normal talk with Michael Jackson. But really, that's what we were expecting. And he came up and he rolls the window down and he is crying. And I mean, like, I'm seeing tears coming from his eyes. And Joanne and I are like in shock. We're Like, what? Like, what is going on? And he said, they're saying that I do these things again. They're saying I do these terrible things to kids. You know me. I would never do that. I cannot believe this is happening again. 
and we're just standing there in shock. Like Michael, it's, I'm sure it's not that bad. Like in, in my head, I'm going, what was in this documentary? We're like, no, well, of course he's like, just, you know, tell everyone that I, that I'm not like this, that I would never do that. And we're like, yes, of course. I mean, there was really no way to tell everybody again, the internet wasn't like it was, but we were like, we know that you would never do something like that. I'm sure it'll be okay. We didn't, we were literally trying to comfort Michael Jackson. So that was a a crazy moment. And so they went into the hotel and about five minutes later, Chris, who was his security, he was driving the SUV, came back out to my friend and I and said, Hey, Michael loves that you guys are here. He loves talking to you, but paparazzi and the media is going to be trying to find where he's at. So we really don't want you to be standing in front of the hotel every day, which makes sense because the, the hotel staff knew why we were there. And if they saw us standing there, they would have found out and they would have seen him in and out. So we were like, okay, Chris goes, but Michael wants to invite you guys to Neverland sometime soon. And we were like, okay. And that was literally it. So we didn't like say when or what, you know, it was the weird thing. So, but he said that. And so we were like, we totally understand. We left the hotel. We were staying with my friend and we watched the documentary that night. And I knew exactly, I as soon as they showed him holding hands with Gavin, in my head, in my friend's head, we knew we, we were like, it was kind of like a, why would you do that because of what everyone else thinks? Even though he didn't care. I mean, he didn't, he was going to do it. He didn't mean anything by it. We knew that. I knew what he meant by it, but I knew, I knew the backlash was going to come from that. You know, like I knew the headlines were going to be Michael Jackson holds hands with young boy in documentary. And I knew that that's what was going to happen. I didn't care that he was doing it. Cause you know, we all know what kind of person Michael is. But again, the world is a very judgmental place. We saw the documentary and then we were like, oh, here we go again. 93 all over again. Like, I, like we were talking about it. We had a bad feeling about it. And then hearing Bashir in the documentary, he was so friendly and, you know, to Michael. And then the voiceover and the commentary was so twisted. It was just, I don't know if you remember watching it live, but it was just a terrible thing to watch and to listen to Bashir describing Michael and how he, I don't know. He really just treated Michael very badly in the documentary. I remember watching it with my family live and it went from, cause we had heard, I don't think it aired in Australia at the same time as it did around the world. So we'd already heard that it was really bad. And so I sat down with my family to watch it and I was like, guys, this is going to get really weird and bad by the end of it. Like it did. I remember my parents like, that's not that bad. It's cool. He's dancing. He's talking about his music. And then by the end, we were all just like, what the? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was. Yeah. And and just know that Michael thought it was just as bad from everyone's reaction. You know, I mean, because once again, he's trusting this guy to follow him around for months to be in his personal life to share his you know his life with him and then once again he's backstabbed or you know whatever so it just I mean it sucks because I'm sure Michael wanted the world to see the kind of person that he really is and then it got twisted and I wish he never would have done it because then none of, you know, he never would have done it. None of the would have happened. It just wouldn't have happened. But it happened. It aired. We watched it. You got invited to Neverland. Back. We flew back to L.A. 
And about 10 days to two weeks afterwards, by this time, two other of my friends from France were here. So there was four of us all together. And I got a call, a text. I don't remember what happened, but I got a text or a call from from one of my friends. And he goes, Michael's back at Neverland. Because he was there. He was outside of the Neverland gates. He goes, Michael's back at Neverland. Within five minutes, the four of us had our bags packed. We were in the car and we were driving to Neverland because we knew he was back there. About two and a half hours later, we get to Neverland. We're just sitting outside the gates. So there was the four of us and there was about three to four other people. I knew one of them. And then the other two, I didn't know yet. I do now, obviously. So we're all just kind of sitting out there, not knowing anything's going to happen. You never knew with that. You would, you could sit in front of the gates of Neverland for days and see nothing, hear nothing. You know, it just... That's just how it was. And you'd be scared to like go into town five minutes to use the restroom because you'd be afraid something would happen. I mean, it was crazy. All of a sudden, security comes out to us and they're like, okay, you guys got to go. Michael's coming out. He has to go to a business meeting. You got to leave. And we were like, yeah, okay. So you're telling us Michael's coming out and you're telling us we have to leave? That's funny. So we drive down his road, Goria Mountain Road, was about five miles long. So we drove to the end of the road. Then you have to cross over a really busy, pretty much like a highway. And then it's this little town. So we just cross the highway and we park our cars on the street. We turn our cars around and we park them facing Goria Mountain Road. That way we could see when his car was coming out. So we have two cars. And so we're waiting maybe about five minutes. And here comes this stretch escalator navigator limousine. Of course, that's my goal. So we all jump out of the cars, leave the doors wide open. We didn't care about anything. Run across the highway. We didn't care about getting hit by a car. <laughs> like We just like took off. And the limo stops at the end of the street and the door opens. Michael was like, come in, because we wouldn't just jump in the limo. I mean, we were, we were fans that would ch- you know, run after his car and stuff, but we weren't just going to jump in. Like We respected him, of course. So, so we get in the limo. And we're just sitting in the limo. It was Michael and all my friends and me and Gavin and Gavin's brother and sister and Frank Cassio and his friend and a few other people. And we're just talking for a few minutes. And then I don't even remember what we we're talking about. And then the security comes back around and he goes, okay, you guys got to go. We have to go. And Michael was like, no, they're coming with us. And we looked at him and we were like, don't you have a business meeting? And he was like, no, we're going to Toys R Us. And we all looked at the security like, you are a liar. And we all just started <laughs> laughing. And Michael started laughing because he knew at that time. Then he realized, oh, he told you guys we were going business meeting. No, we're going to Toys R Us. So it was like, <laughs> it was funny, but totally called him out online to us, the security. We were like, God, you're a liar. Jenny, at this time, you're in the limo. You mentioned who you're in the limo with. But at the time, did you realize Gavin was the kid from the Martin Bashir documentary? I think probably, yeah, because it might have taken me a minute. And I'm pretty sure Gavin maybe mentioned it. Okay, I'm not pretty sure. I can't say I guarantee that. But I feel like somebody mentioned, oh, yeah, we were the ones in the documentary or something. I don't know. I feel like that that happened. But I did recognize him kind of fairly quickly or even they probably introduced themselves to us you know so either way yes I recognized and I knew fairly quickly that it was him what was it like seeing Michael actually interact with Gavin what was it a bit awkward what was it like so I wouldn't really say it was awkward looking back on it it really makes me mad because so we're on the limo it's about a 30 minute drive to the Toys R Us that was in Santa Maria 
and Michael's just sitting there, just listening to the music. Gavin is laying on him. Gavin is laying on Michael. He's saying, Michael saved my life. If it wasn't for Michael, I would be dead. And Michael helped my family with a house and a car and blah, blah, blah. Like, Michael didn't have his arm around him. Michael wasn't hugging on him. It was Gavin that was, like, laying his head on Michael's shoulder. And it it almost seemed like Michael, in my opinion, that Michael was a little bit annoyed with Gavin by this point. I didn't tell you the date on this. Let's talk about the date. So Michael was supposedly abusing Gavin from January 2003 to March 12th of 2003. I was there with my friends March 9th and 10th, 2003. So the last few days that Gavin was being, quote, abused. There's no, I mean, no way. There's no way. This is when they were being supposedly held hostage. This is when they were going to be sent off to a different country in a hot air balloon. The stories that were coming out after this were insane. This was not a boy that was being abused. I'm sorry. Like, I have friends that are abuse victims. This is not. No, no, no. So Michael almost seemed annoyed with him. Like I said, it was Gavin hanging on Michael. Not the other way around. And Michael wasn't even like, yeah, you know, I helped save him and his family's awesome. No, Michael didn't even talk about like that. It was Gavin, his brother and sister. We're talking all about how great Michael was, you know, but at the time we didn't know anything was going to happen from this. So we were like, well, yeah, that's what Michael does. He helps people, <laughs> you know? And so we get to Toys R Us and we're all having a great time in Toys R Us. They close the store down. We're in there for probably two to three hours. Everybody was having a great time. No awkward, weird vibes. I did not get one, like, oh, that's kind of weird. I did not feel that once. I did not think that once. Nothing. Not one thing. 50 Cent was coming out on the radio the very beginning of 2003. And the song In the Club was very popular. And by very popular, I mean, they probably played it every other song, every day, all day long on the radio. So from January, February, March, I probably heard the song like a billion times. So I was over it. So we're in Toys R Us and out of nowhere, Michael starts singing, go shorty, it's your birthday. And I look at him and I say, Michael, can you please stop singing that song? He goes, <laughs> he goes, you don't like 50 Cent? And I said, oh, I like 50 Cent. I said, they've played that song out so much in the past few months. I'm so sick of that song. And he just started laughing. And my friend and I, who had heard it with me all these times, we were both like laughing. And to this day, her and I will, my birthday was just two or three weeks ago. And she'll send me like, go shorty, it's your birthday. And, you know, it's like an inside <laughs> thing. But I, to this day, when I hear that song, I just am just like, Jenny, you told Michael Jackson to stop singing. You what? told him to stop singing. So it was really funny. But I did. I was like, please stop. <laughs> He's never been told that before in his life, maybe. But so. You've been shopping with Michael and friends in Toys R Us. Just to remind listeners, by the way, remember they left their cars, doors Mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. They just jumped into limo with Michael. Their cars, all their stuff is like not under supervision. Car doors open. You know, just to remind people, I think that's hilarious. Anyway, do, do you get back dropped off at your cars or like did you get so, a lift back into mm-hmm. town or how do you get to Neverland? 
we had a hotel that night in Solvang, which is about five minutes away from his house. So we had a hotel already booked. Well, my friend Ahmad, who was the one who that day said, hey, Michael's back in Neverland. We were in the limo on the way back, and he asked Michael, can we stay at Neverland? And I remember my friend and I going, oh, but no, it's okay. We have a hotel. And Michael was just like, sure. Like, not even, didn't even think about it. Didn't even question it. Just like, sure. So we were like, at that point, I remember thinking, oh, my God. In my head, like, we're going to sleep in Neverland. You know? I mean, <laughs> this is a place that you hear of, you've heard about for since the 80s, you know? And, and you've seen it on the Oprah interview. You've seen it on all these interviews. And, and now you're, like, not just going to go there. You're sleeping there. Uh, the limo stopped at the end of the street where we had our car. If there was one place in America that I would feel safe leaving my cars with every personal belonging that I had with me at the time in the car with all the doors open, it would be at the end of his street. It was such a little, cute, quiet town. Thank God everything was still there. (laughs) (laughs) We got back into the car and we just followed the limo five miles down to his house. And we just parked in the front of his house, got out of the car and and walked inside. (laughs) It was kind of like just taking it all in like going driving through the big we've all seen them the big neverland arch i mean just this whole day slash night was the most surreal experience ever you know so just driving in and not believing that it's actually happening (laughs) still to this day it's crazy like i don't talk to people about this so when i do it's very odd that this, this this was me that this was me that did this and experienced all this because it's been so long since it happened but then I rem- I told myself Jenny try and remember as much as you can because you'll never have this again basically so when we uh got out of the car and when we walked in his house somebody I was with made the comment like oh Michael it's such a beautiful foyer entrance way and he literally said oh you've never been here like really <laughs> Uh, no, no, Michael. Oh, no. Uh, let me think. Let me just try and remember. Uh, no, no, Michael. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I. Ha- I could be forgetting sometime. No, Michael, we have not been here. I was just like when he and he was so excited, almost like, oh, you've never been here. I mean, no, but I'll come back if you want me to. You know, that's what I should say. <laughs> he then proceeded to give us a tour of his entire house, every room, his memorabilia room, which was a closet, but he kept a lot of memorabilia. He had a two-story bedroom. And I remember vividly walking into the first floor of his bedroom and then walking up the stairs to where his bed was. I remember that vividly. I remember sitting on his bed. I mean, I just remember walking behind him up the stairs to his bed. I remember that. And I'm just like, what is my life right now? (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, little Jenny from Ohio. And now you're you know, now you're in Neverland with Michael Jackson. What? Um, sort of puts, you know, you know, into perspective, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, you always used to only have boys visit Neverland. Right. Because here you I are. A, I was a 20-year-old girl or a 19-year-old girl. People think they're funny because they'll say to me, oh, like, that's what they'll say. Oh, you're a girl? or And how old were you? They want me to say I was like 10 years old. You know, no, I was an adult. I did this on my own. like. And so, you were with like, you know, Joanna and, and friends. Oh, I was, yeah, there was seven or eight of friends. And then, you know, like I said before, Gavin and then Frank and it was a whole group of people. 
Now, during the tour, also a silly string fight broke out between Gavin and his brother and sister and then us. We were having a silly string fight inside Michael's house. I mean, everybody was literally having a great time, which is crazy because if I was being held hostage in that situation, I might be okay with it because it seemed like <laughs> it was a very fun hostage situation that I really wouldn't so. mind, you know? Yeah. Did you want to take us on like a sort of a brief tour of the house that Michael toured you on? What was it like? Were there rooms that you were sort of really amazed by were, that Michael told stories about as he was um, showing you around? He didn't really tell stories. He just kind of took us through and he was like, this is the library. And, you know, this is he didn't like give a full detail tour, but he just kind of walked us around. And I mean, it was a gorgeous house. I don't know if you've seen, I actually the other day was looking up YouTube videos now that, you know, there's nothing left in it, which is really heartbreaking, but it's a beautiful house, a beautiful property. So, and it was at nighttime, so we couldn't really see outside. He just took us through. I mean, I do remember going into his closet and seeing the shoes that he said he wore in the Smooth Criminal video. He had lots of memorabilia from like Elizabeth Taylor and Shirley Temple. His bedroom, there was just stuff everywhere. Like, I don't remember if he told any more stories about it. I don't think so. I think it was kind of a walkthrough thing. But after the tour, Michael said he had to go work on music. So he stood up and we all took turns giving him a hug and saying bye. And after we did, we go back to them the line and we come up and say bye again. And finally, he was like, I see what you all are doing here because we just were going to keep going and going. <laughs> we did finally say goodbye and we sat down on his dining room table. I remember it was Mexican night. So we had Mexican food. Still, Gavin, his brother and sister, we were all together. still, just laughing, having fun. After dinner, we went to the amusement park. We went on every single ride, which was amazing. Went to the arcade. And while we were in the arcade, we looked up because Michael wasn't in there with us. He said he was going to work on music. And all of a sudden, we looked up and Michael just comes strolling in the arcade. And we all just kind of like nonchalantly were like, hey, Michael, and just kept doing whatever we were doing. <laughs> At one point, we started like a soul train line. And everybody was taking turns dancing and Michael did not want to. He was so shy. <laughs> we were like, come on, Michael. He was like, no, I, I don't want to. I don't remember what he said, but everyone else danced. He did not. He would not dance. The most vivid memory I have about the arcade was at one point I was standing in front of the jukebox, just like going through the songs and Eminem was playing. Michael was a very big fan of Eminem at the time. And all of a sudden I felt something on my leg and I looked down and Michael was squatted down and holding on to my leg with his ear right up on the speakers. And the speakers were so loud. I don't know how he didn't have hearing loss. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I just remember looking down and he was keeping his balance by holding on to my leg. <laughs> yeah. 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 Again, I think the word of the day is surreal because that's pretty much everything I talk about. I could say that word in every sentence. So finally, he did say goodnight to us uh, and went back to the house. And then we went to the theater, which we still at this point didn't know where we'd be sleeping. After we got into the theater, Frank Cassio drove me to the car so I could get our things. So I, I grabbed a few bags for me and my friends, got our stuff and went back to the theater. There was a movie on, but eventually we went to sleep. I think this is something that I don't know if we talked about this when we first spoke, because I don't know if this came out afterwards. So the theater was two floors, at least two floors. And they had bedrooms in the theaters with big windows for, you know, disabled children who could not sit up on their own. So we were going to sleep upstairs. 
in a bedroom. Two people slept in the bed and then two people slept on the floor on each side. And we were like, okay, so what has come out in the past two months maybe is that James Safechuck said that the glass on the windows on the top floor were only one-sided. So people on the top floor could see down into the theater and like watch the movie, but you could not see up into the room from the bottom floor. That is a lie. I remember seeing where we were going to sleep. And there have been hundreds of people that have been in that theater that have come out and said, that's a lie. That glass was not one way. So yeah, we just ended up falling asleep in the theater. Gavin and his brother and sister weren't, they were there with us the entire time until it was time to go to bed. I do not know where they slept that night. I do not know where Michael slept. I don't know where anyone else slept, but my friends and and me. Can I ask about, well, God, you know, I'd want to ask about every room that you saw Mm -hmm. or things like that. But how about the grounds? How about the gardens and the Mm -hmm. amusement park? Yeah. Can you you just tell us a little bit about the experience and what it was like to be walking amongst those trees, those gardens, those rides? It was at night, so we couldn't really see much of the grounds. But the, I mean, the amusement park was just like any amusement park with the lights all lit up. There was music blasting through the whole amusement park. He always had music throughout the entire grounds on Neverland. It was just amazing to be there. Now, the next day, we did see some of the grounds. And like I said, I had been back in many times after that. So I saw it during the day many times. And it was beautiful. Everything was just so upkept, if that's the word I'm trying to, just so clean and so beautiful. You could just tell that he was very proud of Neverland and he wanted to, you know, keep it, beautiful. And it really was. Once you went under the Neverland Arch, you drove about a minute or two before you got to the main house. And it was just beautiful. There were ponds everywhere and statues and trees. And it was just, it was just gorgeous. That's nice. That's yeah. I wish I could have got the chance to go there. Maybe I still will one day. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it still looks, like I said, they have YouTube videos from like last year. It still looks really, you know, they kept, they definitely kept the grounds up. But it's very strange to see that they're, you know, the amusement park is gone. The house is empty. So that's very strange. So the next morning we we slept in the theater. We just woke up and security, the Chris came and got us and to the uh, golf cart or the car to go to the house. And Michael was there and Michael did say hi to us then the next morning as we were leaving the theater to go eat breakfast. So he did say hi and we did thank him tremendously for letting us stay overnight. Because, I mean, what other celebrity let alone the most famous person on the planet, will let people stay on their property, you know? We ate breakfast, and we went to the zoo to see the animals. Gavin and his family were there as well still, and so this was now March 10th, 2003. Again, no weird vibes. No nothing, no weird vibes. Any sign of Gavin's mum at all? No. Okay. No, I did not see them. I don't, I don't know if she was there. But I didn't see any. I didn't not see her. And then that day when we were leaving, it was probably around two or three in the afternoon. And we got into our car and drove to the outside of the gates. And I remember we parked the car and got out of the car just to make sure we had everything and, you know, just to get situated before we drove away. And I remember Gavin and his brother and sister came to the gates and we went up to them and they were basically begging us to come back and stay longer. They were like, we'll ask if you can stay, you know, like we want you guys to still stay. I mean, looking back on that, it really pisses me off, (laughs) you know? So, but we were already outside of the gates and 
we were ready to go. Plus, it wasn't up to them if we stayed or not. So we just said goodbye, and that was it. Thought that was going to be the last I heard from them or about them. So fast forward to November 2003, you know? <laughs> yeah, it certainly wasn't the last you would have heard of them because then obviously the whole trial period started with Michael's arrest. Now, I'm guessing, I mean, you, you told us earlier that you were there during Vindication Day, but even during the trial and that period, were you were you there? So when it came out, when he was arrested, and, and then once we found out who the boy was that was accusing him, as soon as I found out, immediately I knew. I was like, I was pissed. And especially after being there and seeing what I saw, Gavin Oliver Michael, I knew that I knew it was a lie. So I got in touch with Brian Oxman, who was the Jackson family lawyer, if that's what he was. I'm not sure. He set me up on an interview. So I did a nationally televised interview on the early show on CBS a few days later. And so I flew out to LA and spoke to a PI. His name was Eric Mason. He was on the case and he told me he would put me on the witness list. Well, I just found out a few months ago after speaking to Scott Ross, who was actually working for, you know, the defense, Eric Mason didn't put my friends or me on the witness list, but Scott Ross did hear of the silly string fight and Toys R Us and everything. But he said, Eric never gave him my information. And Scott told me like, we could have used you like, dang it, you know, (laughs) but so I never went to the trial because I wasn't sure if I was going to testify. And so basically I didn't, you know, in case I testified, I didn't go, but I did finally decide once the trial was over that I was going to go out there. And I ended up going the day before the verdict came in. So, and when the details of what the Arvizos were saying started coming out, it was just unbelievable, you know, saying he was being abused until the 12th. Well, we were there March 9th and 10th. The kids were just excited to be there as we were um, having fun, laughing, just like having a great time, no signs of anything going on. And I think if I remember his brother star or his sister said that they like saw it or walked in on it happening. Yeah, they did say that. I just, again, like I said, at this point when we were there, they were supposedly being held hostage. I mean, it was just so, and Michael wanted them to disappear in a hot air balloon. Like really? <laughs> what? Crazy. What is, crazy. Who, who makes this stuff up? So Jenny, back at Neverland, were were there places that you were told, oh, you know, don't go to there or anywhere sort of off limits that you remember? Not that I can remember. You and your friends yourselves were adults. Were there other adults around the ranch? Were there staff? Definitely when I went back in the other times with a bunch of us fans that were sitting out. There was staff there. There was always people at the front gate, always. But yeah, I mean, there was staff that would just be walking around or tending to the bushes or whatever. And this was the the first time you went to Neverland. I, mm-hmm. and so you, but but you did return other times. Were they similar oh, yeah. where you got to hang out with Michael, or were they no, no. No, so what would happen all the other time, that was the only time I ever hung out with Michael inside Neverland and for a longer period of time than just like talking to him, you know, outside the hotel or or in a big group of people. So all the other times, a lot of it would be just random times. Like, for example, I think his, and I could be completely wrong, his 45th birthday, the fans threw him a party at the Orpheum Theater in LA. And afterwards, we all drove back to Neverland. So there was probably 50 of us outside the gates of Neverland just sitting there not knowing if anything was going to happen. And all of a sudden, Violet, who was the security guard, who I'm sure 
she was, she would, none of us liked her. She was really mean, but I can't imagine having that job, but she would just be like, all right, Michael said, you guys can all come inside Neverland. So if you could all just get in your cars. And when I tell you that within like 10 seconds, 60 people were in their cars, <laughs> hands on the wheel, ready to go in. I'm not joking. Like it was like, it was like a mad dash to get in the car. And then we just would drive in and you did have to sign a paper. You weren't allowed to take pictures inside. And it's funny now because you know, it's 2019 now. So I've, I've posted stuff on Twitter and people are like, well, I don't believe you unless you have pictures in Neverland. I'm like, number one, you could not take pictures in Neverland. Number two, we had the wind up disposable cameras back then. I mean, <laughs> we'd have to, all my pictures that I have with Michael were taken on those disposable cameras. I went to like Walgreens. I got them developed in an hour, probably for like $30, <laughs> you know, like we did not have these and, and people just, don't understand that 18 years ago or and, 17 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. And you couldn't take any sneaky pics with those cameras because when you click oh my the gosh, thing yeah. and then to wind it, they to were wind so it? loud. Yeah, no sneaking around there. So no, And it's the size of like a Walkman. Right. And so, and you know, I tell people now, I'm like, you don't have to believe me. I don't care if you believe me or not. I mean, this is what happened to me. It's my story. You know, people really, oh, I don't believe you if you don't have pictures. Okay. I don't want to tell you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was not like it is today. So, gosh. Wow. But. So you've pretty much lived like the fan dream, really. You know, you've got to speak to Michael on, on mm -hmm. many occasions, even if you, you know, if it was just about the weather or whatever. Right. Um, I'm glad you got past the point of just crying in his face. Oh, that's, my God. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, you know, Neverland, wow. Like the dream of mine growing up was to step foot in the place and you got to sleep there in the theater, yeah. which is incredible. Wow. Waking up the next morning and I just, I remember, I slept on the floor and I remember just waking up like, I'm in, like, I am in the theater inside Michael Jackson's Neverland. Like, <laughs> what? And it was funny because when we first got there that night on uh, March 9th, I asked if I could call my mom. And so I sat down at the um, in the kitchen. He had like a bar with stools he could sit at. And I called my mom and I was like, mom, you are never going to guess where I am. <laughs> she was like, where are you? And I told her, so it was, it was, it's like those little things that are funny when I just remember in the limo, I asked Michael, if, I called my sister on the way to Toys R Us and I asked him if he would say hi to her. So I gave him my phone and he was talking to my sister on the phone, you know, just little things like that. Did she just, freak out? I mean, yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> she, she couldn't, you know, I mean, that's not a call you'd expect to get. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I, I actually got her to meet him once and she had always said, she's, she's about two years younger than me. And she had always said, you know, yeah, I like Michael. I like his music, whatever. But then in Vegas for the radio music awards, we were at the hotel and there was about 10 of us out there and he came back and I was like, Michael, this is my sister. And she hugged him and it was like, Oh my God, Michael, I love you so much. <laughs> and I was standing there and I was like, Stacy, like, 
is this my sister? <laughs> he just had this aura, like he, and it's a thing. It's a true thing. His aura, it was a real thing. And she got in it, man, and she never got out. And she went to New York once with me. She went to the, she was at the Staples Center with me. You know, she. Talking about that, Jenny, how should Michael be remembered? It's really unfortunate that everything we've been dealing with the first few months of this year is happening now. Because, you know, when Michael passed, there are so many people that have been fans starting June 25th, 2009. And, you know, at the time I was engaged and he had three stepdaughters and they never wanted to listen to Michael. And then Michael passed. And that is all they wanted to listen to. They know every word. They'll tell me to this day, they'll be like, there was a Michael song playing in class and I know all the words. And, you know, and so it made a whole new fan base, you know, it took forever to get over that first allegations. So to have this come out, you know, the last nine years have been great. People have been loving his music and all the Cirque du Soleil shows and everything. And then to have this come out this year and to try and and tarnish that, first of all, that's never going to happen. His legacy will continue to inspire others. This was just a little blip little glitch in the in the whole thing i mean it wasn't little but i just hope people remember him for the person that he was the 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 charitable efforts he did the humanitarian he was just all the ways that he wanted to help the planet i mean if you watch this is it the very end of it where he's talking about healing the planet or whatever people don't talk like that these days celebrities don't talk about that they don't talk about that on stage and that's what his songs are about. And see, I'm talking about his song second. I mean, I want people to really know what kind of person he was. So I'm, I hope that that, you know, that lives on. Of course, his songs will always live on. And if somebody just wants to be a fan of his, you know what? Good. Keep it going. Teach your kids that. Teach your grandkids. So that's what I hope for. He was one of a kind. And I am so thankful. And I'm sure we are all so grateful that we were alive when he was alive and when he was walking this earth because think of the billions of people that have been born since 2009. They weren't even alive when he was alive. We were very fortunate to see him and to spend time on this earth with him. This world was a better place 10 years ago. There's a place in your heart and I know that it
This is Diana Walzak, sculptor of the Michael Jackson History Statue, and you're listening to the MJ Cast.
Is there any of your Michael fan friends that you'd want to give a shout out to? I mean, I feel like I would be forgetting some, but there's just because I could pretty much go. I feel like I could go to almost any country and know somebody there just through Michael Jackson, which is amazing. I have so many friends that I met through him that I would never, ever have crossed paths with, like ever, you know. So Michael brought so many of us together and we were able to share a lot of experiences together that people didn't get to experience. So it was it was awesome that the friendships I have now that I did not have before all this happened. Well, you've mentioned a few. I know that you're friends with like Sean with his amazing pet squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Actually, I think I might be going I might be going to Vegas. Uh, the end of July to see Janet in concert with him, actually. Very cool. Yeah, we talked about Very it, cool. so we'll see. But yeah, he's a really good friend of mine that I've met through Michael. Any Australian people that you remember? Any Australian people? I, you two. <laughs> you two are now my friends. But <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I, <laughs> my friend Jess. I remember um, she flew from Australia to New York in 2002. 22-hour travel just to come over to New York to try and meet Michael. And she actually did end up getting an autograph from him. So yes, I do know a girl from Australia. Worth it. Yes, totally. Well, Jenny, this has been incredible. Just trying to put myself in your shoes in these amazing situations. I try Um, to put myself in my own shoes when I tell (laughs) these stories. Because again, it just seems like, it seems like a dream. So I've loved hearing your stories, Jenny, and I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. If people want to connect with you online, do you have like a a Twitter handle or Instagram that you you might be able to share? Yeah, so I think it's the same. Or no, it's not. My Twitter is, let me just make sure, because I changed it. When all this started happening at the beginning of the year, I changed my Twitter. So it is Jenny W526 for Twitter. So J E N N Y W five, two, six is my Twitter handle. And then on Instagram, it's M J Jen. So M J J E N and the number 2000. That's literally been my screen name for everything since like 1998. So it's a bit outdated, but (laughs) whatever. That's okay. Uh, That's awesome. And I'm, yeah, I, I've I've really loved speaking to you, and I and I hope many of our listeners get a chance to drop you a line as well online. Um, I don't know if they have might have any more specific questions for you or anything like that, or just want to geek out about MJ. But um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm insanely jealous right now <laughs> um, of all the things that you got to do with with Michael and going to Neverland. Absolutely amazing. But also I want to thank you because as we said at the start of the show, it is always a very difficult time of the year to get through as Michael Jackson fans. But one thing that helps, I think, is hearing reflections on Michael from other fans around the world, just like you. So thank you very much, Jenny. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that I was able to come on and tell my stories and just uh, hopefully it does help people. You know, again, if anyone's listening There are millions of us that feel the same way around this time of year. And if you feel better blaring his music and singing out loud, do it. If if, if it makes you feel sad, don't do it. It's totally up to you how you deal with it. But, you know, in the words of Michael Jackson, you are not alone. There we go. Jenny Winings, thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. And uh, I guess as we would say, just Michael on. (laughs) 
Thank you, guys. There we go. That was interesting. Wow. Like, I don't know. Like, I just remember vividly as a teenager having seen pictures of Neverland, just wishing, wishing upon a star, just wishing, wishing, wishing that one day I could be that kid hanging out with Michael Jackson at Neverland. Yeah, I remember watching it in... um even just living living with Michael Jackson. Like, I know it was a terrible documentary, but it's just... Oh, it just seemed like such a, a magical, ethereal kind of place. I would have loved the chance to visit it. It would have been incredible. It was like... Some people talk about it as like the physical embodiment of like, you know, Michael put all of his soul into a physical place, like an extension of him. I think that's why it means so much to us because... He didn't really do that with anything else. No, he put everything into it. He even said he would never sell it. So, And just hearing about like Madison Square Garden, that was awesome. So cool. So cool. I, I She has got to be the only per- one of the only people I've ever heard of, probably the only person that, that's gone to both shows. There can't be too many people aside from like the crew and the people working on the show that would have would have been to both. It was pretty outstanding because it was a very expensive show to go to. Yes, she told us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> what experiences? I mean, there would have been there must be so many fans out there that would kill to have the experiences she had. And hopefully they're grateful that they got to at least hear them when she shared them. Yeah. It's a tough time of year, so ho- I'm hoping as well that hearing some of those stories have brought some comfort to some of our listeners. Absolutely. I know it helps me yeah, a lot. Yeah, me too. Just, you know, I, I was – when she was talking about when she heard the news and the memorial, I was sitting here pretty emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Brings it all back, hey? It does. We're going to cross now to a segment. Uh, we, we usually do this every year. We – we go back and we listen to little snippets of all of our previous guests since the last year talking about how they think Michael should be remembered. I want to give a big shout out to Brad Skistemus, who put this segment together for us. I'm very appreciative of that, Brad. Thank you so much. I have very little time this weekend to put the show together. So it's been a big help. And I hope you guys all enjoy this segment, Reflections on How Michael Should Be Remembered. And Judith Hill, I've got a question that we always ask our guests. This is our, uh, one of our last questions on Michael. Um, this is a question we ask all of our guests that knew or worked with him. How do you think Michael Jackson should be remembered? I think he should be remembered as a healer, as as someone who healed people with his music. I think that he, he brought magic um, into the world and... And for all ages, I mean, kids light up when they hear his name. 
everybody around the world. I think he should be remembered for for that, for his love for the world, for all people, and his dedication to giving that to people. Dick, just as we as we uh, let you go, there is there is one question we always ask of our of our special guests, and we compile the answers of these together in our end of year special. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts around how how do you think Michael Jackson should be remembered? He was a misunderstood performer who was probably the most talented performer that I can imagine ever. He was so unique as a, not only as a performer, but as an individual, he was so, I called him uh, a butterfly. You know, he was like no other person I ever met, by the way, uh, very sensitive, caring about the planet, the future generation, this whole thing and this whole exaggeration and mix up uh, about him and children is so untrue because he was a child and he never really stopped being a child and he understood children and uh, he was concerned with uh, where this planet was heading. I was uh, privileged, I must tell you, to to have met him and worked with him and spent time with him. He was one of the people that left this planet way too soon. And uh, the life of Michael Jackson, of course, can never be replaced. He'll, he'll never be anybody uh, like, uh, like this individual. So John, there's a question we really like to ask all of our guests, all of our special guests, you being especially special. Um, and that question is, how should Michael be remembered? I think it's clearly on the list of small handful of some of the greatest performers that have ever lived, along with having a high measure of humanitarianism and contributing to humanity in so many ways. I think that's what's most important um, when it comes to remembering him because there's been so much negative and dark press surrounding things that just feel so unfair from my point of view I'll just say most of the time by people that didn't know him You've had all kinds of people that have made claims and turned around and said they were paid off and all of these kinds of things. These days, we can hear so much about so many different people. It's unbelievable. But what you can't manufacture is the success and the connection that he's demonstrated all over the earth and his contributions, which outdistance pretty much any entertainer that's ever lived. Mm-hmm. Those, um, those are the things I think matter. I mean, to those who really knew him more intimately, there's just lots of other things that we'd like to see people remember. But that isn't what the public got to see. And I think what he gave the public was a lot. Mm-hmm. 
a lot. And it's deserving of respect. I'm hoping that at some point, either this estate or a future estate will make sure that those things are viewed in the proper light. Harrison Funk, how do you think that Michael Jackson should be remembered? I've said it many times. I think that Michael needs to be remembered as um, the great entertainer, the great philanthropist, the great humanitarian that he was. He left us a legacy of kindness and compassion and healing. I, I go back to heal the world as a signature piece, but that's only one little bit of Michael. Michael was put here on earth as the man who could change humanity for the better and his candle was snuffed out too early so I would hope that people will remember him for the great music for the humanitarian work he's done for all the children and all the adults who can attribute healing to Michael and to his to his wonderful music and to his beautiful personality. Bill Whitfield, how do you think Michael Jackson should be remembered? Michael Jackson, I feel he should be remembered just for what he tried to do. He felt his music was the antidote to evil, the negativeness. He listened to his music, he felt his music was the cure, you know, and he's often said he's made music based off, you know, the thoughts and the struggles of children. And, if, and, and to, I, I listen to his music more so now and even listen to words. So I think he should be remembered just for what he tried to achieve with his music. And that was kind of, no matter where you are, what you're doing, out hanging out with your buddies friends Michael Jackson's song comes on everybody is connected at that very moment everybody in that club in that arena in that place in that house in that party is all connected right now because we are all listening to some music that none of us in here have to say who the hell is that we don't have to because we all know so right now at this very moment we are all connected because we hear it. And that's what he felt his music would do, is to bring people together and just make it better. I think I would like to see people remember him as that, what he tried to do with his music. And in some ways, I think he has. Brad Buxer, how should Michael be remembered? As the greatest artist of all time and giving the most amazing gift to the world that any performer's ever given. He's the greatest, in my opinion, and probably everyone else's too, the greatest performer that's ever existed. And that's how he should be remembered. You know, what he gave to the world with his talent, which God gave to him, he was just born with it. But that talent, I don't believe will ever be equaled, and I've never seen anything close to it. And I still, you know, just when I see a video of him dancing, or when I just see, and believe me, I'm not one of these people who not starstruck i'm not even into things that you know some people are so into the latest artists or i don't care about any of that i just know great art and he's the greatest artist of all time ever 
point blank. That's it, nothing even close to it. And that's how he should be remembered. You know, he's Einstein, he's Da Vinci, he's Newton. He's the greatest that's ever existed at what he does. That's how he should be remembered. Tyrell Jackson, how do you think Michael should be remembered? Love. Love. I, I, I think about my uncle and I, I think of love. He was a, a symbol of love. Everything, and this is what's so upsetting about our world, everything he did was for love, was, was to bring happiness to people. All he did was hope. All he wanted to do was, was help people, put a smile on their face, entertain them, make them forget about their troubles for a little bit, and um, make the world a better place. I mean, he, he heal the world, we are the world, Earth Song, donations, and all the charitable things he did. It's like, it, there's so much love in this person. It upsets me that they try to erase everything that he's done with all these lies. Because it's, it's like, you know, you know what he's done. It's been written. It's been, it's been shown, you know, the donations and, and the people he's helped. There's so many people that he's helped that you don't even know about, that I don't even know about. Mm. You know, someone posted a story, I think maybe a month ago, and I was reading about it for the first time, you know. But this was my uncle. This is, this is how he operated. He was always helping people. Larry Nimmer, how should Michael be remembered? I think Michael should be remembered as a great artist, songwriter, dancer, singer, great humanitarian, as a great representer of the childlike nature, as a visionary, but also, I guess, maybe as a tragic tale. If you're too trusting, this is what can happen. But I think Michael should be remembered for all the wonderful things he was. It's been incredible collecting those every year. You know, hearing that insight that people share especially people that knew Michael, that have worked with Michael, have created with Michael. It's it's a question that we've asked right from season one. And I don't know, it's always a, like quite a special moment to hear them played back again. Yeah, it's interesting asking the question too, because people like, um, often they don't know it's coming. Yeah, we well, <laughs> we pretty much, unless they've listened to a show, which isn't, you know, a common thing that uh, we, we and we don't really submit questions prior to interviews. So, yeah, most people do not know that it's coming. Yeah, and there's always so many different ways to answer it. So he touched so many lives, whether it was people he worked with and knew or just, you know, us fans all around the world. Michael meant so much to us then and he always will continue to as well. It never gets easier. I still go through periods now of just anger, sadness, confusion just even now 10 years on it's uh it's like i know it sounds really heavy but like i'll say i've said it before i'll say it again on june 25th 2009 it literally was like a part of me just disappeared as well and it's uh it's never felt the same never uh, in my life since then and it it won't no it will not We also played a number of tribute tracks throughout this episode, uh, which we hope you've enjoyed. The tracks that we featured today were a Heal the World cover by Infinity from Sri Lanka, 
We also played a track called Billie Jean is Waiting from Henry Gorman. Then there was a track we played from Omar Batty, a longtime friend of Michael, a very loyal friend of Michael's. The track was called Life is a Movie. And head to the show notes. The videos, uh, if there is a, a video clip, will be available in a link in the show notes. And the Omar Batty song, the film clips really got a beautiful video clip to accompany it with um, Omar really heavily paying tribute to Michael, not only in the song, but definitely in the visuals of the video. Great finds there, Q. I, I really hope we get the chance to speak to Omar one day. That'd be cool. That would be cool. I Probably we would have reached out very early on, but not recently. He does seem quite private, actually. He's a very private guy and also... He's not Michael's son. He's not Michael's son. There you go. Just <laughs> he's, didn't he, he put a picture of his dad up, his real dad, the other day on, on social media. Like he was squashing the rumors himself. As a, Guys, this is my real dad. Yeah, like there's been <laughs> pictures of his real dad forever and you can see the <laughs> resemblance. Like seriously, people. Anyway, whole other thing there. Yeah. Social media, people can find us all over the net. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. As the MJ Cast, we're on podcast apps, of course. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Republic, and all other Android podcast apps. It's a very mysterious place over there for me, but um, <laughs> scary place. God, yeah. <laughs> is it easy? Like, what do they press? Like, is it just one click like it is for us at Apple? I don't know. I don't know. I think they got to download stuff and set it up and oh, I don't know. Lordy. But uh, we're there. <laughs> we're, you know, we have an email as well. You can reach out, iCloud.com. Did I forget anything? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, email. No, you just said that. I just said that. <laughs> But I will it's forgive just, you. It's 12.30. I was just going to say it's very late for you and you've had a, a huge day and this is actually way past my bedtime. I have a headache. Granddad Bull needs to go get some granddad sleep time. Yes. Uh, well, Jamin, it's, it is a difficult day, but I'm glad I got to spend this time with you and with Jenny and our listeners. Be good to each other, people. Just support each other and... We're all in the same boat here and we can all remember Michael together. I, I look forward to August. We're going to, you know, celebrate Michael instead of just remember him. We can celebrate him today as well, but I look forward to his birthday. For me, that's the happiest time. Yeah, totally want to echo what you said, Q. I might put something Michael on, maybe private home movies or something, something like that. We'll see. But, um, yeah, thinking of you, mate, as well at this tough time. Thank you. All right. I'm going to sign off. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the MJ cast. We will be back when there's a new show. So thank you and Michael on. Keep Michaeling. The MJ cast.